And I think the, the value of the product manager is he brings the story of the user into the company. Today, we're going to dive deep into product management and how it helps startups to scale effectively. So we're looking at what exactly is product management. Helping us to do that is our expert today, Rajiv Patney, who's currently the founder of Stealth Startup, which is using all of his product experience to create an exceptional product, which we're not to talk about. But he was formerly the head of product US at PrimaryBid, which is a huge company that's grown massively in the last few years. He was also, before that, the head of growth. So he brings a wealth of experience with an exceptional product a company that was worth hundreds of millions before going on to do his own thing. So I hope you learned a lot today. So Raj, can you tell us what is product management? Because I think that term confuses a lot of people. It means different things to different people. Yeah, it's a good question. So there are a lot of like definitions out there. Um, the one I think I prefer the most is, is the art and science of making success, successful products. And so there it's about if you're already potentially trying to find early stage product market fit all the way through to scaling. There's a second part of it, which is actually creating products successfully. And that's more of the process of how do you build products? And so there you're already past scaling and now you want to really grow it exponentially. I think the other way I think about it is there's a really good kind of quote from Ted Levitt, who was a HBS professor, uh, who said, people don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole. And I think product management is trying to figure out that last bit, which is what are they looking for? What is that hole they're looking for? And then the first bit of, of the drill is more of what are we building? How do we build it? What's the solution? Product managers kind of fill the gap between both of those. They figure out the latter part of that. So what are they looking for? And then the form part of it, they figure out in conjunction with engineers of what they should be building, what they should be building. So obviously now you're working at a company which is right at the very early stages, but you previously had experience at Primary Bid, which was scaled significantly. So it's obviously a very different role in product leadership at those two organizations. How do you find the role changes depending on what stage a company is at? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I joined quite early on, um, just before the Series B were closed. There were about 34 people in the company. By the time I left, it was about 200, maybe 250 people. So went through a, a massive growth spurt in a couple of years. Um, I think one of the areas where it, it, it most significantly changes is the complexity of the organization. And so... You know, you might be having to deal with a much broader organization. I certainly had to do that as, as, I, as I scaled up in my product role and my product leadership role. I think the second area is the most challenging, which is in, in the midst of all of that growth and scale, how do you as a product manager, or product leader, continue to still represent the voice of the customer? Uh, so what naturally happens is companies get bigger. Um, people get often more distant from the customer or the end user. And so... There's that natural tendency to happen, which I think is the most important thing for product managers is fight against that tendency and really work hard to continue to be speaking to the end users and continue to embody them. And so, for example, like one of the ways I was doing that was continuous discovery, which is generally best practice in product teams is speaking to users for your for your particular product that you manage, um, you know, continue to go on, you know, uh, discovery sprints as you're building out new features and I think the benefit of all of that is you, you bring that external knowledge back into the company and that becomes more and more important as new people come into the company, you know, particularly, say, post-Series C, um, who don't understand the sort of the, the story, right, of the user. And I think the, the value of the product manager is he brings the story of the user into the company. So for founders who are listening right now, 
what should they be thinking about differently when they're hiring somebody in product at the early stages versus the later stage? Like, how do they know if they should have a product person in the first place? So it's a good question. There's actually uh, one of my favorite like, product thinkers is a blogger, early employee at Stripe, a Twitter guy called Shresh Doshi. And, you know, he writes, he wrote a really good blog post about this of how there's kind of three types of product people. There are operators who are more inclined in, in the scale-up phase and, and they're better at like ensuring a um, synergy and, and, and harmony across the organization as it builds up. Then there's a second type, which are the sort of craftspeople. They really like spending time with their team and their customers. They like doing product deep dives and, and, and actually the process of building product. And then you finally have the third type, which is kind of visionaries. And their, their whole thing is they're able to see where the market is going and they may not totally understand how to translate that into a product, but they can kind of see the direction and need some help translating it. And so you kind of usually see that founders uh, play the role of, of the last, which is kind of the visionary there. Um, what you want is early stages, generally operators are quite, do face challenges in, 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 in joining the startup. And there's many reasons for it, which is operators tend to operate. And so that's about how do you ensure there's this there's, uh, communication going around to the organization? How do you ensure there's good processes? Uh, how do you ensure everyone stays aligned? When you're kind of below 50 people, that, that's not a role that often needs a lot of filling. And if it does, then, uh, you know, it's not a great sign, I think. Um, you, you do want more of that as the company grows beyond 50, maybe 100, 150 people. And so in general, what you want is people who can take on some of the complexity and ambiguity without building too much process into the into the team and into product building at the earlier stages. And those tend to be kind of craftspeople who really want to get deep into the, the weeds of things. They like the early stage scrappiness. Um, you know, they like the ability of having the autonomy to move things around and, and figure stuff out. But you kind of actually do see this in, in later stage scale. So even, even for us, we had some products which are much more mature in, in the company and, and, and we had products which were much, much earlier or discovery. Uh, and, you know, nobody had really figured out kind of what they were trying to do there, what the users were, but they had an idea that there's something to be done there, or at least the founder did. Um, and so you could see PMs kind of naturally gravitate to these different types of products. Uh, they're based on what kind of hat they, they naturally wear. Um, so, for example, personally, I was, I was much closer to spinning stuff up and getting off the ground and moving on and spinning up something else. Um, you had other kind of product managers or product leaders who are much closer to the operator phase, which is, you know, making sure there's clear communication, you're reiterating what you're trying to do, uh, you're clarifying priorities. Um, so there's no right answer of, of necessarily what's best in any specific situation. At least my experience is, yeah, you, you, you sort of want craftspeople a bit more earlier in the process. And then as, as you gradually grow, you want probably people who are better at uh, instigating and, and, and following processes and, and ensuring that actually there is there is a you know, streamlined process in how you develop a product. What do you think are some of the fundamental principles that make somebody good at product leadership, wherever stage of startup they're at? Yeah, so it's a really good question. I think the number one job of the PM is like they should be staying close to the user. And that's the main job is they're the voice of the customer in, 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 the, in the org. Um, that involves like spending time with users. It means like reading the feedback, reading the tickets, reading complaints, you know, speaking to your CS staff, seeing what kind of emails they've been getting overnight. Um, you should be able to feel the pain. You know, user empathy is really, really important. So that's 
that's and I think that remains true regardless of what level in the hierarchy you are. I think as as a product leader, you know, I've seen this personally as the CPO I reported into previously was really good at this. Um, I think the second thing is the the job of PM is you're trying to absorb you're trying to build products that absorb complexity, and so for the user they don't really care about how hard the thing is to do. They just want it done. And your job as a PM is to work with the engineers and your team to figure out what's a product that makes their lives easier. You almost want to make it look effortless, um, but you want to give the user a little bit of a glimpse of the complexity involved, but not too much of a glimpse. And so what does that translate to into, into a PM or a product principle? It's, you know, you're, you're comfortable taking in a lot of complexity and you're able to distill and synthesize that into how does that translate into what the user should be experiencing in this product? Um, and I think the third piece is you, you can only really do that, what I just said, if you understand the job that the user is trying to solve. And so that's a, a reference job there because that's a, a really crucial framework in, in product management. It's called jobs to be done. And it's um, the basis of that is basically people don't really know what they want. They know that they have something they want to get done but they're only aware of the existing solutions that they have for that job. Um, there's a really great quote from Henry Ford about this, which is if I asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse, which is to say that people are aware of their existing solutions, right? They don't know what the new solutions could possibly be. Um, the PM's role here is trying to figure out what is that job that the user is trying to complete. And I think with those three kind of principles, that, that usually lends most people really well to to building stuff that people care about. I think that last one especially, it comes from the idea that the user or the customer is always right, which isn't necessarily true because the whole point, as you said, it's empathy. You've got to listen to the user, find out what their problems are and how you make their lives better, not necessarily giving them exactly what they want. Because like I said, they might not have the tools or the knowledge that you have to think of the solutions that you build. And if you just do what they say, you're actually probably doing them a disservice. Because you've got this, like at Primary Bid, for example, you had a huge team of engineers who could do things way more complicated than maybe the user could imagine. And I think that's a really important point for anybody listening is to really think about that. It's not just about doing the features that people are requesting, but solving the pain point that they have. And there is a difference between the two, which I think sometimes gets conflated together. And you talked there about the product leadership side and how to do that effectively. What about as a team, like what makes a team highly functioning in product? Because especially as something builds out, and you mentioned earlier about the option of the founder is a visionary of the product, right? And I'm guessing as earlier, it's very difficult to work with the founder sometimes because they've got their way of doing things. And as that grows and scales, it's going to be different. And probably a challenge you have right now as you grow your own product team is that you've got a very specific way that you think maybe things need to be done. So what have you seen and what tips you've picked up over time? make teams run effectively? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. I've seen this kind of throughout my, my career in startups, um, even even prior to primary bid, which was, you know, how, how do founders interact with product teams? Because, you know, one, one take on that is if the product team is representing the user and they are kind of uh, envisioning what a product should be, well, what's the founder meant to do, right? <laughs> uh, and I think that's a bit of a fallacy because, um you know, the founder's job is steering the ship, right? Uh, I think the product manager's role is figuring out what, what the oars should look like, where they should be, how they need to be angled, um, you know, what they should be made of, 
who needs to be you know rowing those oars, right? And so I think it's a different in it's a difference in the level of vision that should be involved here. Now I say that at the same time, you know, like there are really great founders who remain super close to the product throughout the life of the company, even when it becomes a public company and and, and far beyond that. And I think that's it's an interesting difference. I mean, I I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment called Creative Selection, which is um, early early design employee at at Apple uh, when Steve Jobs was around, and you know, kind of gives a perspective of what what was life like at that time in the company. You know, there's already past ten thousand people, and you still had kind of product engineers going into the room pitching this specific new feature to Jobs and the executive team, and they would nitpick every single thing in that product. Right now, that's I think that's quite rare, and I think it's super powerful, and it kind of explains why 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 Apple is such a product kind of perfection driven company. But I think if you're if you're building software, you do have to start kind of uh, understanding what parts of the product or the platform you know kind of found a giveaway, right? And I think that's just true for the founders, it's true for like executives, it's true for leaders. Which is you know how do you give your Legos away? Because you kind of do have to give your Legos away to go and get new ones, and, and that's important as you as you scale the company up. Um, I think the best way to do that is, you know, uh, you know, one school of thought there is, 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 you know, which, which I heard or saw from, from my peers is, you know, hippo, which is the highest paid opinion often wins in the room of what should be built. Um, the other way you counteract that is the customer wins, right? And, and you have customer insight to weigh up against that. Now, I think that's a better place to be. You don't want to be building exactly what your users want, but you want to have a sense of what they're trying to do. And that's where these frameworks like Jobs to be done really come in value. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. The Bay HQ has a podcast, but we're so much more than that. So if you want to find out about all of the events we've got going on, all the different ways you can meet each other, as well as resources to help you build the business of your dreams, then check out the link in the show notes, sign up to our newsletter, where you get a weekly roundup, which we like to call the Bay Letter, that will keep you in the loop. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can possibly do is sign up to our newsletter and share it with your friends. So that's enough from me now. Let's get back to the show. I remember from, so before I did any of the stuff I'm doing now, I was a tech consultant, right? So I was on the lower end of that spectrum of going into the room. Well, when I was leading, even when I was leading projects and you're talking with a product manager generally, right? They make a bunch of decisions and then you get the person who's the head of product or somebody who's seen more senior to them come to the room and then they can completely change everything based on one meeting. And sometimes that does happen, like you say, where somebody else in the room has had like lots of context, has talked to the users, where somebody else who come in is higher paid, got more seniority, who then maybe steamroll and then just say, actually, we're going to do it this way instead. And whether or not you deal with that situation yourself in the past, like, how can you balance that? How do you go about that situation to try and make sure that you're championing the customer's needs? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I think, um, you know, I've definitely encountered that and seen that happen. I think that's quite a common trade in, in, in a lot of companies. Um, I think the first thing is, like, people need to be empowered to talk to customers, number one, before you do anything else. You know, PMs, but also engineers, designers should have ready access to talk to users. Um, and they shouldn't be blocked from doing so. And I think that's number one, right? Like if there is a particular part of the company that kind of owns the user, 
that's generally not great, right? And and everyone should be able to to understand and, and talk to users. Um, and the, the, and the reason I say that is, you know, there's this one angle which is you just debate, but there's a better angle which is you. Have, everyone should have the deep user empathy, right? And and rather than debating in a room, everyone should have user empathy as much as possible, so they generally agree on what people care about. I think the other way you can put a bit more structure around this is, is is being clear about what metrics you're trying to solve for. And and that takes a bit of the opinion formation out of the process where you can you can understand what, what you're trying to solve for this quarter with your KRs next quarter. You understand the KPIs attached to your particular product. You can then drive forward a recommendation on what, what you think will help with that KPI. And I think the final piece is is the the I think often what happens is people do tend to rely over heavily on, on data for this. And, and I think actually the, the human story can make a pretty meaningful difference in whether your recommendation, your feature recommendation is, is adopted or not. Um, you know, funny thing is like what I saw quite consistently is having a single like quote from a user was often far more powerful than having really rigorous data from a thousand users and your dashboard drawn up of, Here's what they're saying, and here's why they're doing this, um, and that kind of explains why user empathy works, right? Because it's it, it it's much easier to draw your own inferences from that. Yeah, and you mentioned it before, like one of the frameworks you've used in the past, but it's a big part of being a product in product, right? Is using different frameworks to try to get from that user demand and the user problem into the end product and making sure we're delivering. What are some of the other frameworks that you use that you think have been really helpful for you? And you recommend for other people in product to be using too? So I think, I mean, I'm, I'm currently in my role as a founder. I, I do try and use as many of these frameworks as possible because I think they do help with distilling the process and, and, and reducing complexity and how you figure out what to build. I think needs first thinking is is crucial. I think that's number one before, before kind of anything else. Um, you know, really understanding what the user's goal is. I think when it comes to understanding the needs and now you're building something out and you want to figure out what are you solving for? You know, it's important to have a North Star of what that looks like and, and being clear about what that North Star metric might be. So it might be, you know, we want to, you know, as an example, like we were launching in the US and a North Star metric might have been we wanted to complete a certain number of deals in a year in the US. Now, to do that involves multiple different products, different teams, different countries, legislation legal. But there's a time box kind of metric there of what you're trying to achieve. I think the other one that often helps quite a bit is um, having a bit of structure around the assumptions you have or have made. You know, you might have assumptions around uh, assumptions around like feasibility or viability of you know what your product is delivering, and I think being clear about what those assumptions are and and, and really boxing them into those categories um, is really valuable when you're going through the discovery process because then you can kind of rule stuff out. You can disprove your your own hypotheses. Okay. And I know you're working in stealth at the moment, but with the product you're building right now, what have some of the principles been or what are some of the actions you're taking in product that you think are enabling you to be outcompeting some other people maybe who are trying to build products or in their first startup? Because you've got such a wealth of experience, you're doing things in a certain way. So you, you mentioned there about some of the frameworks around assumptions and everything else. Is there anything there that maybe you can, in, like for the founder who's listening today, who's trying to work at their product, what other advice do you have? Yeah, so 
Um, it's a good question. I think I definitely am not like uh, anywhere anywhere close to having nailed this down completely, but I have seen what kind of good tends to look like. Um, I think the benefit of having done product is you see the holistic process of building stuff that people want. And so that's a that's a process I've tried to kind of, or at least a framework I've tried to adopt in 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 as we've been building out the company ourselves of understanding the market, understanding the customer really deeply, understanding the possible solutions that are out there, and also being very, very comfortable of emergent thinking, which is you may have an you may be building something now and you have to be very, very comfortable it's going to move around. And so um, you know, being comfortable with ambiguity is 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 kind of a bit of a tenet, I think, in in, in product thinking. And I think that's really uh, relevant in 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 as a founder i think the other pieces that that matter the most are like i said yeah being the voice of the customer is the job number one of or pm and it's job number one of, of a founder and and that means you know understanding what they're saying not always taking what they say is at at face value um you know looking out for what do people mean rather than what do people say is a really important one and um you know the benefit of 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 being quite deep into sort of applying user research principles is you sort of are able to figure out how to how to run, run that process kind of a bit more rigorously. Um, I think at the same time, the challenges that a founder faces are, are you know, um, we, we naturally want to sell, right? And we naturally want to pitch and sell and convince. And, you know, as, as a, you know, um, an objective product manager, you're, you're meant to be totally opposite, right? Like, if we totally uh, objective and avoid um, biasing the user or the, the interviewee in any way whatsoever. And so I think that's quite a tough balancing act. And I think that's a really important one for a founder to nail down, which is how do you, how do you delay that part of the, the sales process as, as much as possible um, until you really understand what this person wants. Just before we get into the quick buyer questions, you mentioned there about one of the books you're reading by the employee from Apple. Are there any books you recommend the audience read if they want to learn more about product and product leadership? Yeah, so, yeah, I love creative selection, like I mentioned. I think uh, required product reading often is, is is books like Hooked. Traction is really good. Um, I, I really enjoyed learning about and actually using a lot of Amazon's leadership principles, which I read about in, in Working Backwards. Um, bit of a Bible, Hard Thing About Hard Things is, is a great one of, of seeing what that looks like. Um, I think the other one I, I really enjoyed is um, by Mark Randolph, who's a co-founder of Netflix. Um, he wrote a thing. Uh, oh God, I forgot what the book called. Now. That will never um, work. Something like that. That will never work. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that will never work is a really good book by Mark Randolph. I think beyond that, uh, quite a lot of really really good news of those now. There's a lot of content about product out there. You know, the ones I really enjoy are you know Lenny's newsletter is really good. Uh, like I mentioned, Shreyash Doshi is really good. Um, Ravi Meta, um, and you know, great, great newsletters from from Minder Products and Exponent as well. Perfect. So we're going to move to quick five questions now. So the first one is: Who are three British Asians they'd love to spotlight that you think that people listening right now should be paying attention to? I think number one, James Mitra at JBM. I mean, he got me in my last role. I think he's genuinely an amazing guy. I love his podcast. Uh, very genuine. Um, Number two, uh, Janat Rajan, um, who uh, you know had a range of roles as a VC, worked in 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 fintech for a while. Um, again, very approachable, uh, really active on Twitter, um, very helpful. Uh, in in in, I found her really helpful in, in helping me out in my career as well. 
Um, recently, I uh, met Baz Ayer, who's a founder in, in, in clean energy. Um, really interesting guy. I want to give him a shout out. Uh, equally, Ranjit Palaro, who's running a, a retrofit startup at the moment, which I think is a really cool, uh, interesting idea in, in how do we save emissions from PropTech. For the people listening, if they want to find out more about you, what you're up to, I know you're in stealth at the moment, but could you give them some kind of a hint of what they should be following you about if they're going to find out more about your future company? Yeah, so we're building the climate fintech space. Uh, we're still early stages, but primarily what we're trying to do is help capital flow into flow into uh, decarbonization and help with transition planning. Um, you can follow me on, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Um, I can send my email out as well. I'm very happy to chat with anyone who's kind of interested in the space um, or, or, or wants to get into it or wants to get into product as well. And then on the other side, is there anything that you need help with right now that maybe somebody listening to this episode might be able to reach out and help you with? You know, I'm very keen to hear, speak to folks who are dealing with sustainable finance, sustainable linked financing in any shape or form, uh, green debt, green bonds. Um, you know, we w- we'd love to speak to you. Awesome. So thanks so much for coming on today. Have you got any final words to the audience? No. Uh, keep following Amar. Keep following the Bay HQ. Love what you guys are doing. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. It means a huge amount to us. And we don't think you realise how important you are. Because if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, if you leave us a five-star review, it makes a world of difference. And if you believe in what we're trying to do here, to inspire, connect and guide the next generation of British Asians, if you do those things, you can help us achieve that mission. And you can help us make a bigger impact. And by doing that, it means we can get bigger guests, we can host more events, we can do more for the community. So you can play a huge part. So thank you so much for supporting us.